love that theme, that chorus, Holy Spirit, that we need you here. And Holy Spirit, we need you in this place. And Holy Spirit, we need you in our lives and we need you in our family. And I, I was thinking about, you know, that family. You know, the church family. We, we've been having some family time. In fact, Friday night we had a board game night. And we played, about 50 of us probably played board games here in the fellowship hall. And we're going to do that, I think, once a quarter. And then, and last night we had like 85 of us that went to the Padres game. And they won! That <laughs> uh, was a great time. And so it, it's just kind of family. And, and as I was thinking about that, you know, this whole family time, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, about, about your relationship, your walk with Jesus Christ and and how I am so very protective of of your walk your walk with Jesus Christ and, and as I you know interact with you and I get to know you and we become friends or maybe I'm just now meeting you for the first time I I, I carry this this passion and the desire in my heart that you walk with Jesus Christ. And then like a parent, I carry this passion and concern. If, if, if maybe there is this something that is happening, this something that is drawing you away from Jesus Christ, drawing you away from the truth that we've understood or the truth that we've learned about in the Word of God because it's a part of life. It's, it's, it's a part of the reality that there is this drifting that happens just like the gravitational pull of the earth, just like the fact there is gravity. There is sometimes this temptation of this, this pulling away or this drifting away from the truth. I, I will never be the same. I am forever changed because of uh, an event that happened in one of our congregations. We pastored in Tennessee for 10 years and we had planned a community of family time, kind of like we're doing right now. We're planning on all these family times together and we planned a family time to have a, an all church picnic out by a reservoir about 35, 40 minutes away from the church in the country. And and uh, we were at this place. It was a river that was kind of dammed up in this reservoir area. And there was boating and sea dews and water sports. And, and there was a beach area. And we had our hamburgers and steaks and we barbecued. And then we all went to the beach area. And it was an area maybe 400 feet long, pretty big. And, and then it had one of those floating boundaries, you know, because past the boundary it drops off and there's a current. And so there's the floating boundary. And we were there and there was probably a hundred of our own church members and a hundred of people that people that were a part of the public. They were not a part of our church. And, and, and so you can imagine there was all the noise and all the smells. People had lathered on sunscreen. You could smell the sunscreen. And there was the white sand and then there was the water and the splashing in the water and the kids cries and their laughter and the giggles and people on each other's shoulders fighting each other and and then there are people over here grouped over here splashing in the water here all kinds of noise and in the midst of the noise what forever probably changed our congregation in the midst of the noise there was this other noise there was a kind of like a, a shout or kind of a scream and, and it was different than all the other you know, noises different than the other shouts. And this kind of noise, this kind of shout is always different. It was a, a shout of desperation. It was a shout of somebody screaming for help. And they were screaming out of fear. And it was this wife, this Hispanic woman wife that was screaming for help. And I wasn't sure what she was saying. And pretty soon all the few hundred people began to quiet. And, and you could hear the splashing begin to calm. And, and this woman is screaming and she's shouting and she's wanting help. Her husband was there nearby her in the water, and all of a sudden the husband was not nearby her. 
And so people began to move and we began to go like this with our hands underneath the water. And, and, and it wasn't maybe but 30 seconds that people began to search for somebody in the water because she was screaming. He does not know how to swim. He does not know how to swim. And a gentleman, taller fellow that was was out there by the floating boundary line. He hit something. He felt something and touched it and it was flesh. And he grabbed the heel and he began. He drug him back to the beach. Very traumatic Drug him back to the beach and then uh, a guy named Terry Hartsock, who was a PA, a physician assistant, uh, he immediately jumped in and helped and, and he began to work on him. He began to work on him and then he shortly began to do this mouth to mouth resuscitation. And, and then pretty soon, of course, the mother's there and she's crying and then, or the wife, she's crying and groups of people here and here and all gathered around a hundred of our church members there watching. Watching Terry as he's trying to bring life to this man is so traumatic. You know, uh, this, this event changed the life of our church. This happened, this was a crisis because this man had, had drifted out into deep water. He had drifted into the danger zone, a, a zone that he probably should not have been in. Drifting is a real danger. I, I will never forget the story of uh, two 14-year-old boys that was in the news there. I pastored in Florida, a different assignment. I pastored in Florida. It was in the news. Two 14-year-old boys, their parents would let them go boating, take the boat out, but they were to stay in view of the shore. They were to stay in view of the shore because that, you know, lets them know where they're at, they're safe. And they had not paid attention. A storm had blown in, and it was a raging storm, a bad one, and they had lost sight of the land and the horrible, tragic story is that those two boys were never seen or heard of again. Tragic. Drifting. The danger of drifting is a reality. I was moved. It really kind of got me on this trail when I looked at this devotional in the Gospel Guide. The author, Billy Norris, he writes of a tragic event that resulted from drifting. Two young men were fishing above a low dam on a river near their hometown. As they were concentrating on catching fish, they were unaware that they had drifted until they were not far from the water flowing over the dam. When they realized their situation, the current near the dam had become too powerful for them to keep the boat from going over. And before the dam, the water was dashing with strong force over great boulders through the crevices in the rocks, caught by the swirling waters under the rocks. The very tragic ending of the story is that that both of the boys perished and lost their life because of the danger of drifting. We look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn there. Let's go ahead and throw it up here on the screen. We go to Hebrews chapter 1, looking at verse 1. And here's what he's speaking about here. He says, we must pay the most careful attention Therefore, to what we have heard, so what? So that we do not drift away. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Now, the danger of drifting is not limited to the physical realms. And we understand that. That's the point of looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, is that there's the spiritual realm, the spiritual dynamic that 
that, that drifting is, is a concern. And in fact, in, in, in verse one through four, it kind of has a pretty big hook because we have the epic story of, uh, of God interacting with, with man, his creation, and that God is an intimate God and desires relation with this man. And so in these big connections that we read about in verses one through four, which does not discount the rest of the book of Hebrews, but it, in fact, it carries us deeper into the story of the book of Hebrews and deeper into the truth of God's word that he gives us. But then we turn, it takes another twist where then it gives us another hook, which is the epic story of Jesus Christ. And in the epic story of Jesus Christ, we begin to learn, of course, about who God is and who God, uh, you know, loves because of his son and God becoming flesh. And, and then we, we learn of the fact that God created the son to rule. And the angels and the angels to serve. Huh. Hmm. It's interesting because maybe this is why we, we, we have Lucifer who is very angry and he becomes so angry. In fact, he wants to be involved in this dynamic that I'm talking about this morning. He wants to be involved in you and your life drifting away from Jesus Christ. It is definitely a danger, the danger of drifting. And it's not, again, limited to the physical realm. And so so what happens? What are those dangers? I mean, what what do they look like this morning? If you bear with me. And part of it is that that truth becomes, you know, it becomes commonplace. We've heard truth so many times. I mean, it's passed over and through our minds so many times. It's just commonplace. And so truth begins to lack conviction. Because we've intellectualized, we've displaced, we've come up with so many other answers that it's no longer striking home because it's become commonplace and it no longer leaves us convicted. That's one of the dangers. Another danger is, is the daily pressures. I mean, the daily pressures of life and culture, they move us along and all of a sudden we're on a trajectory that otherwise we would not be okay with being on that trajectory. And so now we find ourselves on a new trajectory, forgetting what the truth was, forgetting where we began our journey when we encountered Christ and the truth and God's grace struck our heart and transformed us. And now and, and we're interested in the revelation and the truth of God. But now we, we become so open and so willing to things that so are so palatable and so comfortable sounding into our intellect that we drift we drift away. See, there, there are some dangers here. This, this gives us an, an, an image of something slipping. I think of the one that holds the, the precious treasure in their hand. And as they are holding the pressure tre- precious treasure, think of this. As they are holding the precious treasure, they forget the value of the treasure. And, and then it begins to slip out of their hand because they've forgotten the value. And, and, and then they're wondering, where, where did it go? And the scariest part of this is that this happens, this drifting, spiritual drifting happens sometimes and usually without us ever even realizing it. Things we should be aware about when it comes to spiritual drift, and, and it's a simple analogy, but just bear with me as we think through it all. There are some things that we should be aware about in regards to, you know, spiritual drift, or know about drifting, and that is... That drifting, and of course you think of a vessel, uh, maybe a floating vessel, drifting requires no effort. I mean, think about that. You stop oaring, you stop, you know, rowing, you stop tacking against the wind. Boaters understand that, right? You stop tacking against the wind, and then, then there's this, this drift sets in, the power of, of the tide and then the, the wind, and, and, and so you're just, you're just adrift. You see, true Christians pay attention, careful attention, 
you know, uh, to, to, this, to this reality. And so it's true for Christians. We must pay careful attention. That's what the passage says. The text is Hebrews 2.1. You see that, that we're to pay careful attention lest we, we drift away. You have to pay careful attention. And I don't know about you. I'm not really good at that. Uh, you know, in other things in life, I, I, uh, my wife and I were able to get a boat uh, when we lived in Florida. It was only a 17-foot boat, center console. It was the kind of boat that had... I had a bench in front of the console. That's where, when I say center console, it's the steering wheel and everything is in the middle of the boat. It's kind of like for bay running and, and shallow fishing. And there was a live well in the front and a place with a chair to sit on. And then there was a bench here that was a cooler. You could put ice in it and put all your good sodas in there, you know, Coca-Cola and Diet Coke, all that stuff. And then, of course, the back here where you're in control. And, all, and we had this boat. We loved the boat. In two years, though, I found out, I realized I was not good at paying attention. Because unlike California, you go out to this ocean, you step off 10 feet, you're 10 feet deep. I mean, the, you know, just thing goes like this. Depth comes quickly off the Pacific coast. Well, there in the Gulf, it is flat and it is shallow. And when the tide is out, you can go miles sometimes and only be in a foot and a half of water. And so what they've done is they've taken these large dredges, I guess, and, and where all the water is, they dredge paths, right? They dredge these paths. You have to boat in the path, and you have a rule like red, right, left. Red, right, return, left. That's a rule. So that means if there's a red triangle, keep it on the right. Red, right, return, left. So if you're returning, it has to be on the right. If you're going out, it's on the left. I just confused you, didn't I? Sorry. That's my point. I had to buy three props in two years because <laughs> I didn't pay careful attention. And like in navigation, you know, flying, I, I love flying. And you have to have, uh, you know, the components in mind and you have you have the wind. And when a plane is not connected to anything and it's small and it's a little tin can, you're up in the air. You have to know the speed of the wind, the direction of the wind that's going to affect your drift. But then also there's magnetic variation. And when you look at your nautical chart on the nautical chart, there's these little light numbers, one degree or two degree or three degree, depending on where you're at on the chart. And you have to plan in in your plan the magnetic variation that means the magnetic pull of the earth is going to affect the compass and make the compass that much inaccurate does that make sense and so what happens you have in uh, magnetic variation you have the wind correction and if you don't do that what happens you do not arrive where you intended to arrive at and so even off one degree you you are miles off your course hence navigation requires knowing where you are at all times and the same is true in the spiritual realm. And so I've had, I've said a whole lot to say that we need to be careful and and we need to pay attention to the fact the reality that there is such a thing as spiritual drift. And 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 saying that there there's, you know, you never drift upstream or against the tide. That's what the note is there. You never drift upstream or against the tide. Because, you know, staying faithful to the Lord, it, it takes effort. It takes some rowing to go upstream. And it takes the adding of your faith. In fact, Second Peter chapter 1, if you're a note taker, Second Peter chapter 1, we read of this, this need for adding to your faith. Think about that. Adding to your faith. And then another passage, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18 talks about growing, that you must grow. And if you're not growing, you're decreasing. If you're not climbing, you're falling. And so there's this this adding, this growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. And the moment you stop growing is the moment you stop growing. 
The moment you stop growing, right? The moment you stop growing. The moment that, that you stop in the effort of following Christ and hearing his word and the truth of his word, then there is this tide, there is this current that begins to move you back downstream. And speed increases, follow me, speed increases downstream. And the dangers increase at the speed of the drift. And, and, and so the fact is, when you can hear the noise of the waterfall, <laughs> it's probably too late. It's already too late, probably. When you lose sight of the land, you know that what you're anchored to, it's more dangerous because, because it's easier to just lose your way and lose your direction. And drift will happen. So as we move further and further from the Lord, the tendency is that we care less and less that we are. And hence drift. So, so what are we saying? We're, we're saying that, that there are things to know about drifting. Drifting is dangerous to others. Why? A ship that, uh, imagine a ship that's adrift in the ocean is a danger. It's illegal. It's a danger to all, all other vessels in the ocean. And, and you can imagine if a ship were to crash into the docks or other ships or other boats. And, and so it's a danger. And so we see that in even our own lives as we drift sometimes. And we drift and we lose opportunities and we lose momentum. We drift maybe as parents and we, we lose opportunities to teach and train our children. Vision 6-4. And the reality of the drifting thing is that it ends in, usually ends in shipwreck. Because the boat or the ship that is adrift will crash on the rocks or go over the falls or what have you because there's no direction and there's no anchor to hold their way. And so there is this, this, this danger. And the danger is, of course, what we're talking about, the spiritual life, the spiritual life that we care about. And, uh, and there is no escape. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 3, we read, There shall be no escape for a just, a just punishment. We see that there. There's no escape from the just punishment because of sin. So the danger of drifting is real. And, and, and there would be no need to warn us. There would be no need for me to think of it unless, unless it was. So the question is, it's so simple. Listen to me, teenagers. The question is, are you drifting? I mean, is this passion that we, we once knew in the Lord, is it still present or, or are we drifting in life? And there's some common signs of drifting. So bear with me, just hang in there. There's some common signs of spiritual drift. Here they are. Number one, diminishing desire to study God's word. That makes a lot of sense. The diminishing desire to study God's word, because without question, you know, the Bible is a unique book. I mean, without question, the Bible is the revelation of God himself. He discloses himself to us in his word. Amen. Everybody agree with that. And in that disclosure, we see the reality that God blots out sin, that God redeems us, that there is the mercy of God that is poured out to us when he becomes flesh and he dies upon the cross and we have everlasting life. You see, it's the Bible that brings all of that to us. And, and, and it's, it's a great book. Amen. And without the Bible, without the word or the truth that God gives us in his word, we are adrift. So, so sometimes there is a sign of drifting when we have a diminishing desire to study God's word and pray. Jesus gives us an example in Mark chapter 1, the, 
the, the idea of solitary prayer. Jesus, it says there in Mark chapter 1, I think 25 or verse 15, Jesus gets up early and he finds a solitary place and he, he, he prays. And in that prayer, he's praying to the Father and trying to understand the Trinity and all that. It just, it's just mind-boggling. But, but the fact is, the prayer is the emphasis. In fact, later on in another passage, Jesus expresses concern for his disciples that they would not grow weary of prayer and their prayer effort. You see, if we're praying less, we're praying less and less, then maybe it's a sign that we're spiritually adrift. So that's one of the signs of, of, of drifting, a diminishing this desire to study God's word and pray. Another one is a diminishing desire to be with God's people. Hallelujah. Congratulations. I'm proud of you. You are here this morning worshiping God and you're with God's people. Amen. Because one of the signs of drift is that we have this diminishing desire to, to attend worship and to be corporately involved in worshiping God. And, and we're moving from the attitude the psalmist has. And, of course, he takes us to the depth of those dark valleys. But yet we find ourselves at the height of the mountaintops when we read the book of Psalms. And, and it's in that rejoicing of the Lord. Amen. The worshiping of God with our brothers and sisters that we find ourselves you know, a fire for Christ and God's goodness in our life. And so he's worthy of our praise because of that. The fellowship of the community of God's people extends our experience. It extends our faith. It extends the potential of God working through us. Amen. And in fact, in Scripture, Romans fourteen nineteen speaks of edifying one another. Edifying, lifting others up. Hebrews 3, 13 suggests this to be a daily thing. In the book of Acts, it talks about them being in one accord and they are fellowshipping and they are breaking bread. You know, again, every day, I think it says in the book of Acts, every day they had the fellowship and the breaking of bread. You see, the right kind of fellowship strengthens us. The wrong kind of fellowship weakens us. And so we find God directing us this morning to be reminded that there is this danger of of a spiritual drifting away from him. And that's one of the signs. Here's another sign. In fact, the last sign there is an increasing thrill over the things of this world. Now, I know I'm meddling here because we find ourselves in this precarious place where Families are overjoyed with the child's award and honor in life, and we find families in a drift because they're so excited about getting involved in kids' lives, and so they, they move them in that direction where those things take the place of the sacred space of worshiping God. And, and then we kind of succumb. Why? Because we're excited about the honor and the awards, but then we, we're no longer making the worship time and serving God the priority. And so we find ourselves as even a family, we're drifting away from God. And with the Paul, and I'm meddling, I know, I'm sorry, but man, the Lord just laid this on my heart. And we look at Paul and he talks about an increased enjoyment of worldly pleasures. And I know that thing, we think of physical pleasure, but you see, there are other pleasures. There are other things that, you know, tickle our minds, other things that tempt us. And he defines it like this. Here's the point. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And if there is something that is causing us to love it more than we love God, then it's time for it to go. And I don't know what the Lord is saying or how he's stirring our hearts. And he's stirring my heart. Because I'm thinking to myself, what needs to go? 
I, I asked my son, the son that's going to give me our first grandchild, Remington. His name's Remington, R-E-M-M-I-N-G-T-O-N. And uh, he, he was getting married, ready to marry Jackie, and Jackie attended our church in Florida. And I love Jackie. In fact, I, I kind of pointed my son that direction. That's terrible, I know. But <clears throat> anyways, he loves her too, obviously. But um, I, I didn't have this in my notes, but I, I, I just have to share this. I'm so proud of them. I'm proud of Jackie and Remington Miller. Can't wait to see this little baby. But I'm proud of Remy. You know, Remy went through this kind of time of sowing his oats. And then he settled back. And then, and then he really was looking, wanting to marry a Christian girl. And he meets Jackie. And I said, Rem, how's it going? Casually, how's it going? Where are you at? Tell me how serious you are. I said, didn't say all that, but I said one thing. Well, he, I, I, think, I think she's the one. And I said, why do you say that? He said, I just, it's just right. What do you say? Well, tell me, tell me something more. And he said, well, he said, she asked me, she asked me, dad, would it be okay? Because when I was a kid growing up, my mom used to come to my room. That's what Jackie's saying. My mom used to come to my room and every once in a while, and this sounds weird, this would be weird in my family, but every once in a while she'd come to my room and we'd go through our room together and we'd ask the question, does this item glorify Jesus or not? Does this item glorify Jesus or not? Would Jesus want us to have this item or not? She didn't say to her, you can't have this item. She just wanted her to ask her own question. And so Jackie said to Remington, Remington, would it be okay if once a year after we were married, if we were to get married, that we went through our house and we asked the question, is this item okay with Jesus or not? Wow. And I said, that's cool, Rem. Yeah, I'm going to marry her. Wow. <laughs> lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Parents, what needs to go? Youth, what needs to go? If we are going to be attentive to the danger of being spiritually adrift. And there are obviously these signs that I've mentioned. But if we're to remain close to God, it will not be easy. So there are remedies of, 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 of drifting. Remedies against drifting. In fact, I'm going to share them with you, and I'm not near as extensive in this, but just really three quick ideas, three points. The remedies of drifting. Now, they're simple, but, but make a note, please. Make a note. They're, they're simple. Here are the remedies for spiritual drifting mission church. The first is keep rowing. I loved Pastor West's presentation to our ministry team meeting on Thursday night because He said one of the number one keys for a successful leader is that we are diligent. And if we keep rowing, that means we are being diligent. And there's diligence in our spiritual walk. Amen. And by the way, that ministry team meeting, you're all invited. The third Thursday of every month, we have a ministry team meeting to learn how to be great spiritual leaders for the ministries in the church. So we want you to come to that ministry team meeting. But the idea of diligence was so key there and and so important because here's the thing, and this probably... I think rang the bell in the first service a little better than this service. And that was this, that you do not retire from being a Christian. (laughs) 
You do not retire from being a Christian. You're walking the walk. You're being a Christian. You're serving in ministry to your very last breath. You're living for Christ. Amen. So keep rowing. Here's the second one. A remedy for against drifting is expect to go against the tide. Expect to go against the tide because the tide is a reality and and the world is the tide and the culture is the tide. And, you know, I I think too long we've allowed the things that sound palatable, things that sound spiritual. We've allowed people to enter into this realm of really heresy and, and just kind of fabricate their own thinking in regards to what's spiritual rather than using the word of God to be the baseline. And so we find ourselves drifting as the world is pulling us out and pulling us away from what God's perfect will is and what his scripture, his word teaches us. And we're, we're, we miss that sometimes, not that we are, but I think sometimes that happens out there in the world. And so there is the influence of the world and culture. Here's another one. If we expect to go against the tide is sometimes we have to go against our own fleshly nature because we 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 are we're flesh. And in the flesh, we're going to want to do what feels easier, it feels better or is easier. In the flesh, we're going to want what we want rather than rowing and going against the tide of our own flesh. And so that's why we need the word of God. The scripture helps us do that and helps us keeping the main thing, the main thing in regards to our spirituality so that we're not a drift. And here's the last remedy against drifting. It's simple. This is really simple. You can get a good image of this. Have a strong anchor. Paul, the Apostle Paul, talked about being rooted and grounded in Christ. He's talking about having an unshakable faith, an unshakable faith. To, to be so rooted and grounded that there's nothing that shakes us. Nothing is pulling us. Nothing is distracting us. Because we're so focused on the goal. As he talks about the runner and he uses athletics and Paul is talking about running the race and we beat our body and we train ourselves that we might run the race to win the goal. And he's saying that we are rooted in the truth of God's word, rooted in the very example in the life of Christ himself. Now back to the beach. And my friend Terry Hartsock. Trying to breathe life into the man that had gotten in too deep. The EMT people, the ambulance arrived. And they came in after him working, Terry working on him for 20 minutes. And they came in. And before they put him in on the stretcher and took him off, they announced that he was dead. And he was dead because he got in too deep. Our church talked about that for months to come. It changed our church. As we witnessed that. He got in too deep. And it cost him his life. It's possible that we get in too deep. It's possible that we we get ourselves, allow ourselves on a trajectory that we wouldn't normally allow ourselves on. And, and I believe that God is wanting to remind us of what the basics are, to remind us what the truth is, what the scripture is teaching us, so that we will not spiritually drift. So that we can have relationship with Christ. And, and, and you know, that, that, it's good to be involved in a lot of stuff, doing good, and we are called, that's part of the, the great commandment that we are to love others. But you see, 
the first thing there in the commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. That is your relationship, your relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and we can get involved in one aspect of it and completely lose sight of the relationship and we're drifting. And our relationship is not what it needs to be in Christ. And so God is saying, I love you. God is saying, I, I care about you so much that he became flesh and died on the cross. And he wants you to have relationship with him. And I want you. That's how I started today. I want you. I want you to have relationship with him. And I believe God has great plans for you guys. Great plans for our church. Great plans for our youth and our teenagers. And, and God's saying, I want to have relationship with you. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes and we're going to pray. And we're going to think about our own life. Remember, the question was, are you drifting? Are you drifting? I want to ask Mission Church, are we drifting? Are we so dead in the center of Christ's will and plan that we see the the fire revival igniting It starts with a bunch of little fires first, a little tiny fires in each individual heart. But then the fire, the flame begins to grow. And then pretty soon, all of a sudden, it's revival that's spreading out throughout the church. Are you drifting personally? I want to invite you to say, Jesus, here I am. Jesus, I want to be in the dead center of your will. Jesus, I do not want to drift. Jesus, I want to be reminded of your truth. And Lord, my relationship with you is a first priority. I need to have my relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Pray that right now if the Holy Spirit's leading you. Pray that kind of prayer saying, Lord, renew my faith. Lord, bring me back to center. Lord, bring me back to where I'm spiritually balanced. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and the Lord's speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is stirring your heart. And, and I need to say, do you know, I've learned that I am no good as a father and I am no good as a husband. If I am not right with Jesus, that's not me being selfish. That's through bumping my head and stumbling and falling many, many, many times spiritually thinking, oh, I'm doing well. I'm. I'm a good dad, I'm a good father, I'm a good pastor. And really, I'm stinking because I'm not being attentive to my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the first priority, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you drifted? Are you, are you hearing the voice of the Lord saying, come home, come back to the center and make Jesus your first priority in life? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This is personal, it's between you and Christ. I want to invite you to hear his voice right now. You're praying right now, saying, Jesus, Lord, I want to be in your center. I want to be in your will, Jesus. Lord, I've drifted a little bit. I want to come back to you, Jesus. I'm hearing your voice right now. Her head's bowed, eyes closed. I keep saying that because I really don't want anybody looking around. I want I want us to be able to just respond to Jesus, not to each other or the person next to us. I just want to respond to Jesus. Take a moment and just... Just lift your hand if you're praying this way. I, don't, I want to put you in my personal prayer life. Nobody will know. God bless you. God bless anybody at all. Jesus, I've drifted some. God bless you. See that hand. A couple. Anybody else, just lift your hand. It's private between you and Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Three more. Somebody else just say, Lord, I want to be in your center. God bless. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We worship you today. We need you today. We love you today. We 
worship you in Jesus Christ's name. Let's stand.